Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. Today, Brenda and I are going to take a journey back on this week's event. We just came straight off from a whole week of content at MTL Connect Digital Week. What a week it was! Um, first of all, thank you so much, MTL Connect and Blood. Um, Printemps Numérique for giving us the chance to be part of this amazing conference. Now, I'm sure that I speak for both of us. Wish that we could have done it in person in Montreal. I think it would have been fun. But regardless, um, we had a great time digitally connecting with everyone. The content was amazing. It's, it's not something um, that is similar to a lot of things that we see. Um, it's, it's very different. It has a lot of good variety very diverse panels and speakers, um, presentations, um, and not just about um, financial services, not just about health. There's a lot of discussion about AI, about arts. Um, in all, it was amazing. So let's do a quick recap, shall we? Yeah, so let's start with your first session uh, from earlier in the week, and let's talk about the power of digital finance and inclusion and looking toward the East for inspiration. What, what was going on in that panel? Oh, that one was fun. Um, so we had our favorite, wonderful friend and partner, Arun, join us, along with Midi um, from India and Mel from the UK as well. Mel just came off uh, from Crown Agents Bank, and she's now the COO of Nuvara, a fintech startup. So she did jump to the dark side. Um, the conversation was amazing because we talk a lot about financial inclusion, but oftentimes when we think about financial inclusion, the one question that always trumped us is, well, what exactly have we done in the West compared to the East? And oftentimes we say, well, yeah, you know what, we should go back and look at what uh, people are doing in India and China and Southeast Asia to get inspiration because, frankly, um, for better or worse, I mean, we have a system, system not really working, but we do have a system. And I think that was probably part of the reason why we see more of the promises and changes um, being brought about by, let's say, the super platform, uh, such as the Anton, the Tencent, and the Grab and Go Jack, the impact of it more so than um, what we do have in the West. Now, what I do like about our conversation, aside from the fact that they're just awesome, is that, um, it was, it was hopeful. It's a very hopeful discussion, knowing that we have still 1.7 billion adults that remain unbanked, but we have the technology to change it. Um, and we have the hearts, we have the passion to make things better. Um, when we think about financial inclusion, oftentimes we stress that it's not just about giving access of an account to people, right? Just creating an account is, is just the first step, the very first step of a very long journey. Um, what we need to focus on is how do we do it responsibly? When we're thinking about extending credit to people who otherwise inhabit, um, how do we make sure we're not overburdening them with debts? When we are looking at um, the folks that are excluded from the formal financial services system. We also need to look at the ones that are included but not well-served, right? The, un, the underbanked instead of unbanked, um, looking at how we can make the system fairer and more transparent um, to those who need it. And uh, it was all in all a great discussion. And I love the fact that, um, shout out to the MTL Connect team 
for um, giving us so much freedom in digging into the topics that we care about on inclusion, on um, technology for good, and more so in giving us the freedom to invite speakers that we think will adapt to the discussion. Oftentimes when we work with events, um, the first thing they will stress is we need to attract eyeballs. So give me the top 10 of the people from the top banks, from the top FinTech, from the top unicorns. And what happens is then you have event after event after event that have the exact same person, exact same voice, exact point of opinion. And I love that we don't have to do that in here. We bring in people and experts that have the heart and the soul on the topics. So thank you for that. Yeah, and, and I, I think about, you know, this week and it's like we had five sessions, right, where we had 15 speakers plus ourselves and you had your keynote. And every single one of them was around, you know, digital inclusion and diversity. And to your point, you know, these are guests that weren't sponsors. They weren't, you know, from large corporates that they were trying to tr attract as sponsors. They weren't selling something. They were talking about solutions. And when you talk about your first topic and you talk you know, about 600 million people more than a decade ago sort of coming into having access into the system, um, we have so much more to go. But I think you know, your, your panel was great in sort of talking about how every player needs to learn from what's happening in other geographies and happen to you know, be part of that solution where, especially here in the US, you know, we've got... 4,000 credit unions plus, we've got 5,000 banks plus, but we still have 45 million people that are underbanked or unbanked. In 330 million people country, we still have such a large portion. And so, you know, let's get that last 10% of people in the world that don't have access, but let's make it more than access. And so I thought it was a great panel. So speaking of access, I think the other topic that is near and dear to us is about general access, not just financial services, but broadband connectivity. As we have all learned in the last few months, that is not nice to have, but it's a must have to be part of this digital ecosystem. To be able to continue school, for example, kids have to have access to the internet to do virtual classes. To be able to connect to your colleagues around the world, you need to have internet access. And so the next panel, the digital fracture broadband connectivity is no longer just a nice to have in our digital, in our digital future. Brad, you had Matthew and Sally and Barb on the panel with you. That is the only panel that I missed because I had a conflict and I wish I could be there. I was so jealous. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? I think people take for granted um, that they have connectivity. And, you know, we were talking about the differences, like Matthew, um, Matthew Siegel is, is from Microsoft. He's the industry executive for capital markets, and he's in a fairly rural area of Pennsylvania. Um, Sally was calling in from England and, you know, talked about the different challenges they had there. And Barb Clean is out of Ottawa, I believe it was. Um, she's working at Celero. And when you think about, you know, again, even within our cities, there's a divide um, physically, you know, geographically, and now digitally between sort of the have and have nots. And, and, and that's wrong. And that's what we talked about. Like, how do we systematically do this through 
a, a combination of both policy to create this awareness that things are not equal, even when it comes to internet access. And, and now with the pandemic, whether you're a quote unquote essential worker or not, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, you know, having connectivity so that you can have your kids go to school now, or that you can work from home or have a hybrid solution, depending on what the company and what their role is. That's really important. So we talked about, you know, the importance of both companies that doing um, work to get more people connected. Uh, Microsoft has their Airband, Amazon's doing their Kuiper satellites, Facebook has their connectivity project, Google has their Loon Balloons and their Starlink from uh, Elon Musk. And then there's the idea of 5G potentially being part of that solution. The challenge is, and we talked about this in the panel, getting people the, not just access, but also the technology to consume the information that they need to through the internet. And so it was interesting. We talked about you know the history of libraries being an access point and how libraries have been taken away from so many people in the community because they've been closed during this pandemic, and how that was really you know the way that almost 100 million people actually access the internet just in this country alone. And so you know we talked about the importance of churches and community groups, and at the end of the day, it is a combination of public and private enterprises that need to work with the government and need to make sure that connectivity is right um, so that we don't have a growing digital divide. So it was a great session. I'm detecting a theme too. Um, and, and as our listeners go through some of the additional sessions that we have, we have guests from everywhere, from different corners, um, different backgrounds, if you will. And, um, and that's incredibly fun to be able to bring different perspectives of people in. Well, and, and just hearing, you know, uh, the talk about Ottawa and, and the talk about Canada in terms of the way that Barb talked about it. And you don't think about it, but, you know, Canada as modern and, you know, connected as it is, really does have people that are, are living hundreds of miles away from city centers. And that's a norm um, because their cities and the expanse of that country is so great. But you know, it's it's really, really um, great to get perspectives of people around the world. And we'll talk more uh, about our other guests. But yeah, we had people from all around the world just in these six sessions. So speaking of the six sessions, we had one keynote this week um, that you delivered. And uh, if I know anything about your keynotes, you got people to think about topics they normally don't think about. So tell, tell us what you, you talked about this week. It's about my favorite topics, which is AI and purpose, right? So... Um, I started off, this one was fun. I started off the, um, the session with talking about when we think about AI, we shouldn't think about killer robots. And then I had a slide with my favorite robots in there that had Doraemon, which is my favorite robotic cat growing up that traveled from the future back to help humankind. And of course, for those who know me, I also had a picture of R2 in there because of course, nothing that I present will go without Star Wars. Um, and it's basically thinking through how my upbringing impact my thinking of what technology should be used for. I'm used to seeing technology as, as a helper. I grew up, even as a kid, watching cartoons. The robots are there to help people. And I moved to the States 30-something years ago now. 
And I remember when you think about robots, you think about RoboCop, you think about destruction, you think about end of the world, and all of a sudden this big giant country came in to save the world. But it's always about destruction. You start with destruction first. And, and, and I don't understand it. Like, technology can be used for good. Of course, everything can be used for good or bad. But if we only focus on the bad part and we say, this is bad, we're going to have to shut it down, we won't be able to advance humankind. We, what we need to do is we need to figure out what can go wrong and let's try to right the wrong, right? Oftentimes when we think about AI, we think about algorithms. We shouldn't be saying, well, you know, facial recognition is bad. Um, this and this is bad. So we need to stop development. No, because if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it. So we need to make sure we actually do invest and double down and make sure that we can figure out how we can remove or reduce some of the, the bias in there because we are humans. As humans, we will have bias. It is just how it is going to be. So let's go back. And if we are using historical data, which we will be in training a lot of these algorithms, let's go back and make sure that we don't repeat mistakes from the past, right? Um, and and every time when I present the topic on, on AI and algorithms, I always remember what Lizzie has said to us and, and the podcast we had with her. Lending is easy. Responsible lending is hard especially of late with a lot of topics around buy now and pay later. It, it seems like there is a, a story on that every other day. Someone going, oh, you know, hey, don't worry about you cannot afford this. You can, you can pay for it later. It, it, it worries me because that shows that extending credit to people is so hard, but don't do it in the disguise of, oh, you know, I'm doing this financial inclusion. No, you're not. You're doing it for your own benefit. We need to be more responsible. Otherwise, we're no different than the big banks that are charging people money because they don't have a balance in there, right? It, it, we, we just cannot do that. If you, as, as an ecosystem, come out and say, we are going to disrupt the old way of doing things, let's do that. So that was a great session. That was fun. It just makes me think that, you know, instead of, you know, charging fees to the people that have the least, what about, you know, actually putting some money in these accounts that have so little with, with some of the profit that banks are making, these record profits, um, you know, just an idea. Oh, you mean from the stock market? <laughs> yeah, or, or from some of the bonuses that some of these executives are making. But, you know, anyway, that's another topic. Oh, did you actually hear that um, some of the companies, they are readjusting there are guidelines for bonuses, so their executives don't suffer as much. How about that? Yeah, that story was kind of crazy this week. Um, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's like uh, the rich always find a way of staying rich. That was exactly what my kids say. Like, without prompted, my son, 11 years old, for those who are listening, he said, the rich gets richer and the poor gets poorer. Just out of the blue. I love my kids to death. Um, anyway, but that, that actually, that keynote reminded me of the session that followed right after, which again, is my favorite topic with my favorite people We're talking about AI, talking about ethics and you had Noel, um, Joita and Uday. Yeah. Great conversation. Uh, it got interrupted a little bit. Um, so it was a little bit short than we thought, but you know, 
what we did in that, you know, probably 25, 30 minutes, uh, we really, really, you know, hit this topic hard. I think every one of, of their experiences sort of building and working uh, in in both AI and, and sort of more institutionalized machine learning in their applications just demonstrates that you can do artificial intelligence driven applications with inclusion and diversity in mind. You know, we, we use examples of um, things that have happened recently, like people that are of color on Zoom um, have had part of their bodies um, disappearing in the backgrounds. And that was because of the way that Zoom actually taught their application to understand what a human is. And it was a white human or a light-skinned human. Uh, or Twitter, when you have more than you know a certain size of an image, it crops it. Well, when you put Senator McConnell next to Barack Obama, it was always choosing McConnell, regardless of where in that image McConnell was, because they trained that on a white person or a person with lighter skin. So we talked about those type of things in this session. And again, algorithms have biases because people have biases. And so as we code and as we control the user experience and as we leverage data within all of these applications, not just in banking, but as we see everywhere throughout our day-to-day -day experiences through technology, we need to be very cognizant of the fact that we're introducing bias. There is a, a picture you know, of humanity that is being recreated through technology. And if it is not inclusive and not of the diversity and, and the, the breadth of humanity, then we're just going to exasperate the same problems that we've had from the beginning with people thinking that somehow we're different than somebody else. But in the end of the day, what the conversation was with these three amazing people was we're not, and we needn't reintroduce this bias through our technology. So it was great. Uh, it was a fantastic conversation about how data is becoming a component of the common good. And, uh, you know, it just, it leads to the next conversation um, that we had on um, sort of the future of work and some other things um, that we talked about. But well, I mean, what are your thoughts about technology and, and, and bias? Because it, it shows up in, in the way we're working today. It does very much so. Well, you just um, described that. It reminds me of what Clara Dordier um, have always said, algorithms have parents. And guess what? They're humans, right? So don't go ahead and, and blame the algorithms for being biased. Blame those who create those algorithms. Be worried about the unskilled wisher and not the program itself. So. Um, I, I think it's very much needed conversation. I just wish that your session didn't get cut short. Um, I can l literally listen in for an entire day on that. And maybe we should think about that for a future podcast episode. Um, and then this morning, you had a um, future of work session. Yeah, so, so in this one, we had Antonio Santos, who is from Atos. We had Jackie Hernandez, who's the co-founder of New Majority Ready and Bianca Rose Phillips, who is the founder of Voice Tech Lab. And we talked about, you know, the, the future work sort of a little bit differently. It wasn't so much, you know, where we're going to be physically located, though we talked on that as well. But we talked about how the structure of work is becoming um, more diverse and because of remote work and because of remote learning and because of the need to sort of reskill and upskill. And there were a lot of things that we talked about that I hadn't really thought about before. But in some ways, the pandemic is 
is sort of leveling the playing field of who can talk to whom, right? So um, one thing Antonio said that I thought was interesting was that, you know, business used to revolve around um, the, the, the bars or, you know, the restaurants or the golf courses in many cases, and that excluded in many cases gender, right? There's a huge gender gap that has been because of physical proximity and ability for people to after work do these things. And I know that's something that you like to talk about. And we talked about in the last episode on gender equality. Uh, the other pieces were that, you know, when it comes to the future of work, we may have a hybrid, you know, solution to physical locations versus sort of bringing us together uh, for projects or bringing the teams together on sort of this need to do sprints or short-term work. But that the physical work that we do has changed probably forever. Um, so these perspectives, you know, uh, Antonio was calling in from Lisbon and Jackie was from New York and Bianca was at midnight. Thank you so much, Bianca, calling from Melbourne, Australia. And the diversity of views wasn't there. And that's what I loved about our guests is that while we have different locations that we're from, we have a common cause. And we have something that we're, you know, in common um, fighting for, which is more inclusion during our work. The the one thing that I love, you know, um, you pointed out as well, I think on Twitter, is that Bianca said that it's not a work-life balance. It's simply life. And, and that alone, you know, should be the way that we think about work. Because work should be as distributed as our teams are. You know, our work should be when it fits in to our schedule, because really at the end of the day, I think they all said this work is work. It's, it's, it should become part of, you know, when it, it needs to happen. It's, it's not so much the structure. It's just about getting what needs to get done, done. I, I agree. I, I like that. I, I caught, I caught what um, Bianca said. I was, I thought it was so good. Um, and and I think one of the things that get me excited with hopefully a changing mindset on where we work is that we can include more people in different locations together. Um, especially when you think about the startup ecosystem, oftentimes um, majority of the activities happen in the coastal area and not just any coastal, it's specific coastal cities. Um, but if we can ease up that a little bit, and provide more opportunities for people in different locations to participate in the innovation economy, you can lift up local communities and you can distribute that knowledge and that wealth and that opportunity to others. And I think it will equalize the playing field more and it will be more exciting because who wants to force people to uproot their families and uproot their lives to somewhere just to pursue their dreams. Um, I remember, and I think I talked about this in, in, in an order episode, there was one time I was talking to a startup founder and I heard a lot of background noise during our conversation. And I told him, I said, you know, we'll just pick up when you arrive where you need to be. And he told me, he said, no, Theo, it's gonna take me three days because I am driving to Palo Alto. He's literally moving from Texas because he couldn't find the resources that he need for his startup. And he decided that he was gonna pick up and leave and move. So think about that. Think about if we are able 
to provide more opportunities, more resources and funding and knowledge and talent in different cities around the country and around the world, it will be so much more interesting. And that reminds me of um, the Holt Accelerator presentation yesterday. That was, that was something else. Um, and I congratulated them because if you think about FinTech, um, and, and I know I said it before and I stand by it, FinTech is a boys club. But if you look at what Holt's um, Accelerator has been able to do, is they have been able to attract different talents to their, um, to their accelerator. They reported yesterday close to 75% of their investment have diversity at the founder and executive level. A third of their teams have a female in those roles, which is four times higher than the industry standard. And the whole board, management and staff, is over 85% diverse, including more than 50% females. So clearly it can be done. Maybe there's a thing or two that we need to learn from the Canadians. Well, and, and that's the thing about this week, right? And, and we kind of proved it out in terms of the sessions that we had. It's like, we're not only geographically, geographically diverse, but we are um, diverse throughout all communities. And I think that's a lot about what we speak and we, we write about, but it's also who we help, you know, put in seats for the conversation because we believe that all voices matter. And when you talk about, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you are to do your work and, and sort of threading these things together. What, what I, I hope doesn't happen is that people dispersing themselves through the rest of, you know, the, the country and the rest of the world into new markets to found these companies. I just, I hope in the end of the day that it doesn't just make, you know, real estate and rent and everything else more expensive everywhere. Because what's interesting to me is that, you know, Google and Facebook and a couple other companies have allowed their their employees to be in almost anywhere they want um, for a certain period of time. But what Facebook has done, for example, is said, well, if you're going to relocate to, you know, another country and your cost of living is cheaper, we're going to pay you less. Well, what I don't understand is if you're an amazing engineer or you're an amazing business development person or whoever it is that, or whatever role you have, why does it matter where you are? That's the one thing that I think will continue to be a challenge because you shouldn't have to take less pay just to move somewhere that for you works better. And for the company, who cares in most cases? And that that's the lesson of the, pan the pandemic. And so let's let's switch from, you know, something around diversity and inclusion and related to physical location in the future work and talking about something else that I know is um, deeply rooted in your heart. And that is the role of technology in longevity. This is your last session that you had hosted this week. And you had some amazing good friends of ours and we've had almost all of them on the show. Um, you had Liz Lowe, you had Ramsey Alwyn, and you had Sarah Morgenstern. Tell us about them and tell us about your, your, your session. So see, that's also diversity if you think about it, because it's not just about diversity in, in gender, right? When you think about diversity, it's also diversity in age. Um, and I think increasingly this should and need to be more important because let's face it, right? We are, we have gained an extra 30 years of healthy living. Now, if you think about that, you talked about we're changing how we're approaching work, where we work. We talk a lot more about flexibility of integrating our life and work together. But what about money, right? We don't, 
we don't seem to think there is a flexibility in it. And I remember a couple of years ago when I started my journey looking at aging and longevity, the first thing that people always tell me if I start talking about longevity and, and, and older adults, the first reaction always is, oh, we have a retirement account. Okay. Oh, we're thinking about doing a retirement account. All right. We have something that's similar to a 401k. Okay. But that's everybody's reaction is when you think about aging, you think about money, then it's always about retirement, but it doesn't have to be, right? And one of the things we always stress is we cannot treat the over 50 as one demographic, just like you cannot treat people that are under 50 as one demographic. My children, eight and, eight and 10, um, you cannot treat them the same way as you treat a 40-year-old, although I think in many ways they are more mature than a lot of the adults we have running governments. But that's the point, right? Not everyone over 50 are retired. Not everyone over 50 are thinking about retirement. The way we lift, the way our life, lift experience are shape who we are and what life stage we are in. We need more diversity in terms of the products that we offer to that group. We need more different ways of thinking in helping people live longer and more productive lives. And, and that was the gist of that conversation with an amazing panel, by the way, I need to point out is for women, we're not talking about gender diversity. We're actually talking about tech and innovation. Um, and, and, it was, and it was fun. It was, it was a needed conversation again, just like all the other topics. I wish we had more time. Um, we kept getting pinged that, you know, we're close to time. Um, but there are so much more that we can do with, with tech, right? Um, instead of just asset accumulation, we can think about asset decumulation. That's what Sarah said. We can think about using tech to help detect financial exploitation um, because on average, each episode of financial exploitation costs the older adults about $100,000 and that's their life savings, right? Um, and we need to celebrate longevity. We need to recognize the fact that the way we're living is multi-stage as Ramsey say. So we cannot approach money the same way we have been. We cannot approach living and working the same way we had been because it's changed and it's okay. It's a different normal, it's a different mindset. And, um, and I closed the session with, with something that um, I've been wanting to say for a while. It's aging is not a disease, it's not a dirty word. I resent the fact that yesterday there was a Robin Hood ad on Wall Street Journal and some people commented smart ass comment, may I add, that do they not know, though, notice that old people don't use technology? Why are they advertising in Wall Street Journal? That is such an old and tired myth that just needs to be shut. Come on. A lot of these people are creators of technology that you are using right now. So stop the ageism and stop the bash. Yeah, it, it also sort of demonstrated that they really don't understand why that ad was put there in the first place. This has something to do with them going through an IPO and them getting attention of investors. Um, so, you know, again, if um, people do not understand that, oh, you know, I'm not more than 21 or 25 years old, that there's actually a bigger market out there and eventually they'll be old themselves. Well, gosh, when they turn 30, then they're going to have like this huge awakening that, oh my God, things change and, you know, people change. But what was great about these sessions that we had this week was that when, whether we were talking about the longevity economy and technology, or we were talking about the future of work, we talked about, you know, 
there are four and five generations of people working side by side. Life does not end at 65. Life does not end at 75. Life does not end at 85. You know, we continue to live, learn, and move forward into a better tomorrow. And the only way we do that is by bringing up these conversations and changing mindsets. And so when when we talk about, you know, this this week, um, I just, again, will echo what you said in the beginning. Claude Landry allowed us to create these sessions. We had five sessions with 15 amazing people and your keynote, and we had topics that are near and dear to our heart. And not everybody lets, you know, us, us do that. We've, we've uh, been very, very happy uh, to have these conversations this week. I agree. Let's hope to uh, make it in person, hopefully with a glass of wine. And so we can cheers at the end. Um, so well, what else is going on this week, Brad? Yeah, I just I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of startups we work with. Uh, the first one uh, just raised their seed round, and that's Stuvo and Hans Frenry. Uh, have been working with Hans for, boy, it seems like four or five years now. And, you know, he's, he's currently at Google and he's launching um, – Stuvo new application. What it does is allows gig workers to consolidate their work and actually increase their income by optimizing where they could work and increase not just gig opportunities, but their reskilling and upskilling. And, you know, I really think that Stuvo is going to take off. That is Stuvo, S-T-O-O-V-O.com. And the other really, really exciting news for a startup that we've worked with for a long time, um, first met QNexus and uh, Dave Berger and their team um, 11 or 12 years ago. And they're based here in Santa Rosa, and they work with um, core providers to provide what's called preemptive lending. So instead of making a marketing offer that says, hey, here's a credit card, hey, here's a home loan, hey, here's an equity, inside your digital banking through partnership with QNexus, over 140-some-odd financial institutions now offered this slew of credit offers that just simply let you know transparently what you could get right now with a single click. And what happens is that those offers readjust when you actually take one of them. And it just, it builds transparency and it builds trust. And they now have been acquired by CUNA Mutual. And it's just an exciting time for the team. And after, again, 11, 12 you know, plus years of building this product, they now have the opportunity to be in front of even more hundreds and hundreds of FIs. So uh, two great things this week. And uh, in addition to such a great week with Montreal Connect. So does that mean we can like, actually retire now <laughs> i think they could if they wanted to <laughs> but um in, in 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 all seriousness um i think it's been it's been a wonderful it's been a wonderful time it reminds me um something in my something in my head brad that you say a lot it's um we have a crisis in our hands right in in many ways in more ways than not but there's always hope and so we can look forward to a better and brighter future because there are good people around us. There are good people in the world with good intention and with the right heart and the right mind to do the right things. And hopefully, hopefully um, the dark cloud over us and around us will dissipate soon and um, you will have something to celebrate in person. But until then, let's hope for one world, one voice, and one vision eventually. And thank you so much for joining us for another episode.